0: The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 109, Russia is Bigger Than the Entire Planet of Pluto. Yes, I said planet. I don't care what those astronomers are saying. One, two,
1: three. I'll show you
0: Paris in the morning. I'll show
1: you London after.
0: Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and today I'm coming to you from Chiang Mai, Thailand. In today's episode is part two of my interview with Steve and Volley, authors of one of my favorite travel books of all time, The Ridiculous Race. And if you haven't listened to part one, you can, of course, get that on iTunes, you can get that on Stitcher, however you listen to the podcast. It's also linked up at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. And if you did miss part one, you're going to want to listen to that because they did some really cool stuff in part one. They revealed how they got a book deal before even taking the trip, which is a story that that isn't revealed in the book itself, which I had no idea how it happened. And it's very, very funny and very cool and very unique. So you'll want to hear that. They discussed how they came up with their crazy idea to race around the world, as well as where they were when they came up with their crazy idea. And they talk about their travel styles, which are completely opposite from each other and make for some very, very interesting reading during The Ridiculous Race. So if you haven't listened to part one, you want to check that out. Today, part two is just as funny as part one. We're going to delve into some of their most surprising experiences. We're going to talk about The Ridiculous Race, whether it was a race or not, You know what the prize was at the end, and all types of good stuff. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you guys, today is the very last day, if you're listening to this live, Friday, November 14th, to register for the last session of Frequent Fire Bootcamp in 2014. We will not be running again in the rest of 2014, and it is filling up quick. We only allow 30 people to register to make sure we keep small groups, and that is filling up. So if you're interested, head on over to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash ff. Bootcamp. And if you're someone who, like me three years ago, thinks, I want to travel more, but it's just too expensive. I was in that exact same boat as I mentioned three years ago, then Bootcamp is really tailor-made for you. I'm going to teach you all the secrets that I use to literally fly around the world the last three years for under $100 a plane ticket. And all of that is done by travel hacking, by using frequent fire miles, by using all these loopholes that I've learned over the last three years. So if you want to travel more and money is an obstacle, frequent flyer boot bootcamp is made for you. We've had over 100 students go through the course and the trips they are taking are absolutely crazy. People are booking around the world tickets. People are doing these dream vacations for under $100. So if that interests you, Again, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash bootcamp. Make sure you use that link because I have made a special audio file just for podcast listeners because I know you like the audio format. So I've thrown together a really cool special audio file just for you guys. The only way you can get it is if you sign up for bootcamp through that link. So extrapackofpeanuts.com slash bootcamp. And I look forward to whipping some of you into frequent fire shape. Now, let's head right into part two of my interview with Steve and Bali. What surprised you the most about the entire adventure, whether it was a a point in time that happened or really just kind of how the adventure unfolded as a whole? Was there an idea in your head of, I think this is going to be how it goes, and then was that anywhere close to how it ended up?
1: Wow, that's a that's a very good question. I, I think the thing that surprised me the most was it was way more doable than I thought it was. I think it was not nearly. I thought I was going to end up in the middle of nowhere and I wasn't going to know how to get toothpaste. No one was going to know English. I was not going to be able to communicate complicated thoughts to people. And even when I was in places where no one spoke English, it was really easy to, it was really easy to communicate. It was really easy to get stuff done. I don't know. It, and people were very welcoming and everyone had kind of the same questions. Traveling was way less scary than I thought it was going to be. A lot of things that happened were surprising or weird in one way or another. Like you, you're constantly updating your expectations. They're always changing. If you're in, like every, every second you're changing what you thought was going to happen, which is cool. And that's exciting. I'll just like a story comes to mind that is, I tell a story in the book it was like I was in Italy and I knew that I, my, my grandfather's family was born in this like particular village in the middle of nowhere in Italy. And so I was like, okay, I'll go to that village with, with, with a note in Italian that explains like, okay, my grandfather is from this town. I can't speak Italian at all, but somebody wrote, wrote this information down on in a note for me. And I went to the village and started handing the note around I end up having lunch at the farm of my grandfather's third cousin. And he can speak English, I can speak Italian, and we're just sitting there. And he's giving me the cheese from his farm, his sheep milk ricotta, like a softball size amount of this cheese. And it was just like everything about it was surprising and wonderful and cool. And it was so great. I mean, I guess the, the takeaway for that was like, Yeah, life's life's awesome and interesting and the more you engage with it and try and find any kind of connection to anybody, the more fun you're gonna have and and it's cool. Yeah. I guess more interesting stuff happened than I expected would happen during this trip. I Hmm. thought we would do a hundred things and one of them would be interesting. And I think it was probably more like 15. Actually, I would say most of the stuff that I thought would be interesting was not that no No one cares and stuff that just sort of randomly occurred or that I like happened because I was being slightly open minded or whatever was cool.
0: What what is one of the things that you thought would be interesting if you can pinpoint one of like, oh, I think this is going to make for a great thing in the book. And then it kind of was a dud or maybe it didn't even make it into the book because you gave us one that you thought would, you know, the the town in Italy, like that was unexpected and was a really cool story and a lot cooler than you thought. What was kind of a dud?
1: trans siberian Railroad. I wouldn't say it's a dud. It's awesome, cool thing. But I, I had this fantasy in my mind of how great the trans siberian Railroad is. What a wonderful, wild adventure. But you're just on a train and you're looking at the window and the landscape out the window is insane and interesting. And it's a very cool thing. If you have the opportunity to do it, I recommend doing it. But the, the romantic idea I had in my head about this train—it was fine—but compare that to I get to Moscow and I hear about these kids at like the University of Technology who are collecting Soviet-era arcade games. That's like their hobby. And I went to go find these kids, and I found them, and they could barely speak English. But like that was so much more interesting and engaging than the like dreamy 19th-century idea of riding this cool train. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking Shanghai was going to be so fascinating. It's this this big, important city, and I got there, and it is great, but the minute I got there, I thought, I don't know what I'm going to say here. At that point, it was towards the end of the trip, so I was very aware of the limitations of what I understood in any place, so I knew I was not going to be able to say anything interesting about Shanghai. And I was walking around, and I felt like everything to be said had been said, and it was very hard for me to like kind of get lost and have some sort of weird experience. Whereas one night in Brazil, I remember just walking down the street and some dude yelled at me from a bar and i was just drinking with this Brazilian like gang of graffiti teenagers all day. And that was one of the best nights of my entire life. It sounds like the moral here for both of us might be like, people are more interesting than anything else. That's true. You know, like, like if you go to a place, it's only going to be as interesting if you can like engage with a person or somehow just be involved with it. Yeah. Is there any physical place you saw that was more moving than you expected? I mean, seeing like whales in the Pacific, that's pretty, that was pretty cool. People in whales. People in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's the people and whales that make travel. <laughs> that's right? what they say
1: about Wales travel. Whales comes up a lot. When we met in Moscow, we, <laughs> we had heard of this restaurant that serves whale meat. And we tried to find it, and no one could understand us saying the word whale. So eventually you made a very crude drawing of a whale <laughs> on a napkin. And I remember walking up to people and saying, we heard there's a restaurant that serves whale. And they would say, whale? Uh, and they shake their head like they don't understand. And I, we'd say, yeah, whale. And then we'd show them the drawing, and they'd just go, oh, Whale. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we've been saying the whole time. What is what what is different about what you're saying right now? Didn't we end up eating horse that night? Ah, uh, yeah. This is I think so. And we went to a Siberian restaurant. Yeah, and. Uh, there is no question in my mind of why why Siberian cuisine has not like swept the globe. It was truly garbage food. Yeah, just for your listeners, by the way, we were racing around the world in opposite directions. So I'm going west while he's going east. And at some point, we figured out that around Moscow would be like a halfway point. And we did coordinate on our satellite phones to like meet up in Moscow. And so we for one day we met up with yeah. each other and and called a truce in the race and just like did some Moscow stuff and.
0: And and while you were doing the whole thing, how important was the actual race? Because the idea was you're going to race around and whoever gets back, we should talk about the prize at the end as well. But you know, the idea was whoever gets back the fastest is going to win this prize. And I know you guys kind of touch on it in the book of this dichotomy between, all right, wanting to go as fast as you can and also then saying, well, I want to experience where I am because how many people get to do this and how many times am I going to get to do this? How did that play out like... Was there a point where you said, well, I don't care if I win this race or not. I'm just going to take in these experiences because that's always, I think, a thing for people when they travel, Any when anyone travels, you know, seeing the next thing versus taking your time where you are.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm very competitive and I definitely wanted to win the race. On the other hand, if I got back and I was like, I won the race and I saw absolutely nothing of anywhere I went and Bali's like, well, I lost the race, but I like was in this cool town and this weird thing happened, then I think no one would argue that he was the winner. So having cool experiences was a high priority. Yeah, and I decided, you know, to take airplanes before even... (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler
0: alert. Spoiler alert. He does mention it in, like, page 35, but...
1: (laughs) So... uh Speed was of 0% importance <laughs> to me. All I wanted to do was take our publisher's buddy and have buddy many fun experience, <laughs> experience as possible. I tried to time it because I kn- I knew basically what Steve's route would have to be around the world. And I, I guessed how long it would take. So I tried to time it so that I would arrive a little bit after Steve so that he would get the moment of <laughs> winning the race. But... I guess readers will have to buy 50 or 100 copies of the book themselves and, read to the end and find out if that happens. Yeah,
0: only one out of 100 books actually gives you who wins the race. You have to keep buying them.
1: Yes. <laughs> and and with
0: that then, guys, the, the prize that you set forth was a bottle of scotch. How did that come about? Because I, I it makes a funny story of All right, these guys are racing around the world. That's a good story. And then when you hear the, the end prize is a bottle of scotch, I think that, that kind of sums up the ridiculousness of the race as a whole.
1: There's a lot of complicated ideas that we were like, I don't know, parodying or something (laughs) like this is like two guys who'd never read Around the World in 80 Days trying to remember what (laughs) what happens in it. And it just somehow it seemed like there should be a prize, but it should be a ridiculous prize. (laughs) It is a ridiculous race. So we landed on a bottle of scotch. But we did tell our publisher, we were like, listen, we're going to buy the most expensive bottle of scotch that we can find in Los Angeles. Like, we're, it's going to be a serious bottle of scotch. And it was. We to us, that we had no idea what that meant. Yeah. We thought that that meant $100. <laughs> it turns out people who like scotch are insane weirdos yeah. who really get into scotch. And we, what, what did we do? We went to Wally's, right? We went to a liquor store in LA and we're like, what's your most expensive bottle of scotch? And they... they said a number that you could probably buy a really crummy used car for (laughs) this amount of money. And so we ended up with a bottle of Scots. It was a a Kinclath 1969, right? They don't even make it anymore. It was in some signatory bottled it. I remember there was 20 minutes of us sitting in the liquor store, Thinking, what are we do? We can't yeah. buy this bottle of scotch. I still That's feel insane. some shame about it. It's, it's horrifying. But on the other hand, it felt like we were contractually obligated to do so. Yeah. I don't know. It was pretty good scotch. It was, I mean, of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> It was very good scotch. I would not recommend anyone to buy that rather than pay rent. I would whatever. say that the, 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 a thing that you learn about extremely good scotch, ex- or at least extremely expensive scotch, is it. what makes it so great is it doesn't really taste like scotch anymore.
0: It yes. tastes like
1: bourbon. <laughs> it's, it's about 8% better than a very, a very good <laughs> scotch you can get at your local bar. It was very good. We, but we got the bottle of scotch, we came home, and on the morning that the race started, we poured two glasses of the scotch and then covered them up. And I think technically the first person to finish his comeback that's around right, the world that's right, that's and right. finish his glass of scotch was the winner of that's the race. That's right. <laughs> so – I mean, just imagine – oh, God – Looking back to that guy, if, that, if some 25-year-old told me the story now, I would just want to slap him. <laughs> and also, as though it was going to come down to second. Yeah. yeah. You insufferable idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> buy the book. Be an idiot when
0: you're 20. Yeah, and you guys were 25 when you did it. And I think part of the fun of the book is that everyone who's reading it was of that age once. And you 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 joke about it now and say like, yeah, it sounds like someone's telling a story at a bar and you just want to punch them in the face. Like, who cares, right? But I think we all can relate to the idea of we're going to do this thing. It's funny. It's goofy. We've sat in a hot tub and drank 15 beers for like five nights straight now. And we've come up with this idea. But then you actually go and, and do it. And I think that's the cool part of it. And the part that resonates with a lot of people is they think, well, that'd be cool to do, but I've never done it. Well, here are two guys that actually went out and, and did it.
1: Yes. It's a, it's a tale of following a, a silly idea to its absolute completion. <laughs> We hold to that now. Any, anything we promise while drunk, we hold ourselves to <laughs> now. It's, it's the principle of life.
0: Uh, a good lesson in life.
1: Yeah. It leads to a lot of stupid activity. Isn't that like somebody's definition of a gentleman or something? Like yeah. Whatever you do, whatever you promise drunk. Yeah, anyway. Or something, something.
0: Now you've said it. Now you've said it.
1: It's horrible advice. You'll end up with a lot of Golden Girls DVDs. Yeah, I think think Hemingway said it in the context of, like, meaning don't say stupid stuff when you're drunk. But you and I are obviously immediately (laughs) going to, well, obviously you're going to say a lot of stupid stuff when you're drunk and you don't want to have to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, instead of saying, like, hey, don't waste your time getting stupid drunk and saying stuff, you're saying, hey, it's cool. If you do it, just, just man up.
1: As long as you pay the bill.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you guys get asked this question all the time uh, when people have read the book and they're wondering okay how how true is this entire story and and my thought is that it can't be a travel book if it didn't embellish or romanticize some parts of it how true to the actual events I mean the actual events took place when they were happening because you do a great job making them interesting and making them funny and that's one of the reasons I love the book so much or else it would have been Incredibly boring. How true to life was the book? Like, when that stuff was happening, you know, how does it, how does it compare to what you actually then sat down and wrote?
1: Well, I, I actually, it actually really makes me mad if, like, people present a n- nonfiction book with lies in it, like that James Fry guy or whatever. I hate that. I think that's really. <laughs> a
0: million bad. little pieces.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and he tries to get away with it, but, like, anything that we say we did, we really did. Anybody we met, we really met. Like, that, that seems like a basic core principle to me that's pretty important. But I will say, like, it's also through the lens of my memory and my experience. So it's like, everything se- things can seem weird to you that were, to an, a third person maybe weren't that weird. So if, you, and if you're trying to convey, here was the, here was my experience as this was happening and you're telling, you're going to end up telling the story in an interesting, compelling way without, without changing the facts. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree. Everything happened. I don't think either of us even did composite characters of, you know, collecting no. multiple people into one. But, and yeah, I think Steve's point is, is essentially that the, I think the comedy of the book and the interestingness of the book comes from the internal narrative. So I think a lot of it, the scene, if you had a camera on us, was us walking down the street. But I, hopefully the interestingness of any book is what is the internal monologue in your, lead, in your narrator's head or your main character's head. So that gives us, I don't know, that gives us a little bit of latitude in, in making it interesting without having to make up characters. We're not telling some amazing story of how you know this kid from the projects made it to the NFL, <laughs> where yeah. like, the facts are very important it's all what is in our head, which is mostly flights of fancy and yeah, imagination yeah, yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> was I, I about to be murdered while walking down that street? Perhaps not, but it really did feel that way at the time. Yeah, exactly right.
0: How soon after getting back then were you guys able to put the book together? And And I really like how you did it chronologically for the most part, but that you interspersed who was telling the story. So it's, you know, there might be five pages of Steve, you telling your story of where you were at. And then Vali, you come in and do it. I think that lends a really interesting aspect to the book because both of you do have your own writing styles. You know, if you, if you just read it out loud, I think halfway through the book, you could kind of, obviously you guys could tell who was saying it, but I think the reader can even kind of get a feel for who's talking and, and doing what. Was that planned out ahead of time? Because that's a, it, not many books, obviously, have two authors in and are kind of run that way. I think that's a really neat aspect to The Ridiculous Race.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So the book is written with alternating chapters, and it's two different, similar kind of guys with different voices and different adventures. So hopefully that was fun, but I don't know, maybe jarring reading experience, I don't know. But in terms of how fast we wrote it, when we got, we had to write the book really fast. It was due like six months after we got back from the trip which was an exhausting physical experience. Luckily, a miracle occurred at that time, which is the writers of television and film went on strike. So, Vali and I had day jobs, you know, full-time jobs, sometimes more than full-time jobs, and then they we got this miraculous reprieve because we went on strike and we didn't have to go to our jobs so we could finish writing the book. I think we were maybe the only two writers in Los Angeles who, when we went on strike, just... Just whisk, you know, let out the biggest sigh of relief. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a devastating thing for the industry, for <laughs> thousands of people. But yeah. we were, we were happy. I don't know how we would have finished the book. Otherwise. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and since you did the book, and since it came out, how has that internally? How has that changed you guys? I mean, you had a, a really cool experience, and and you wrote this great book. How has that changed you internally? And then has it changed the way you travel or changed the way that you, you go about doing things or was it just kind of a one-off, Hey, we took this race and now we're back to to normal life and nothing's really changed type thing.
1: I think it it blew the lid off what I believe to be possible. You know, like there's no excuse for not doing anything at this point, I would say. Yeah, there's definitely that. I also have a, The larger (laughs) lesson from the book to me was there's parts of the the character that I was writing as and the idea that I did not like in the end of the day. And I feel like I'm mostly informed in my job by what I consider to be the failures of the book in my part of the book. And what didn't work, I think, made me more thoughtful about, about writing and traveling and thinking about the world. I mean, I think even if someone re- travels and writes a diary, that's why going back and reading your old journals is always horrifying. <laughs> if you realize what an idiot you were <laughs> yeah. uh, a year ago or ten years ago? And. This was just a, a more public version of that. And I think that is the way I was taken. It was basically it was basically a journal from my 20s where I, I look back and think, that guy was dumb. I'm glad I'm not that guy now. I wonder in what ways I am dumb right now that I will realize 10 years from now. That's such a mature way to talk about your own <laughs> I hope that, yeah, I hope that people enjoy the book and like reading it and find it funny. I will say that both of us Older and wiser would also add an addendum of an apology of like, <laughs> yeah, sorry, we know we were being stupid sometimes. Hopefully you enjoy the book and, and enjoy how stupid we were being in our youth. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm so happy we did it. And I hope if anyone reads the book and takes anything from it, it's just try, go try something stupid in your 20s and, and you'll have a great time even if you... Even if you fail at it in a lot of ways, it, it, it is not as good as you thought it would be. It would be because, I don't know, that's how you become a bigger, better person, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, and that's really interesting to hear because I think it's neat for you guys to have kind of a manuscript from seven, eight years ago that you can easily go back and read. And I think, Val, you made an interesting point that even if people are just writing in, in a journal or a diary or as they travel, or if they have a website, a lot of people now will make websites just to you know, chronicle their journey, whether it's travel or their journey through life. And it is interesting to go back and read it and see how you've changed and see what you did differently that you're happy you don't do now and then kind of take that and look ahead and say, well, what, you know, is there something I'm doing now that maybe I can figure out that I'm doing that's dumb and hopefully in seven years I won't be doing. Um, easier said than done, but, but really cool to be able to kind of have that foresight a little bit and, and that hindsight then with the book.
1: If you're not embarrassed by something you wrote seven years ago, then you're not, you're not working very hard at it. That anything. is absolutely true. If you yeah, mean, that's, you, you said,
0: should be much better now <laughs> than you were seven years ago.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully that keeps happening to you until the day you die. <laughs> Oh, I figured it out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys then have in the pipeline that people should be looking out for, either personally or professionally? Is there a ridiculous race number two you want to announce here on the podcast to thousands of people? Or what's happening with you guys?
1: Well, Steve is now one of the country's leading debaters of the issues of the day. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I have a podcast with a friend of mine that's called The Great Debates. I'd like to plug that. It's a short podcast you can download on iTunes where me and another friend of mine just, like, without any preparation, argue about topics like Kim Kardashian is smart. And then we just have debate about it for about 15 minutes or so. And you can download that if you're a podcast fan. Molly, what would you like to promote? Oh, no. I have nothing, I have nothing to promote. Hopefully... I'm, I'm working on Modern Family, writing pilots, writing scripts. Hopefully, hopefully you'll have a chance to watch one of those things soon. But I have no, nothing exciting. Modern, you should probably tell... I don't know if people have heard about this television show, Modern Family. It's on ABC. It's on ABC. It's a modern <laughs> So you might enjoy... If you love Bali, you might like that. If you like families, if you like modernity, <laughs> these are... We all have we have in Spain on the show. Oh, also I should say I want to promote. I'm writing for American Dad. It's a cartoon show. It just moved to TBS. Oh yeah, it's on Monday nights at 9 p.m. If you liked the show when it was on Fox, wait till you see it on cable when you can say one or two swears.
0: That's awesome. Oh, yes. oh yeah.
1: yeah, Oh my God, how do you? How long is the debate every week of how how much should we allow ourselves? To it hasn't. Matter? People forget about it. So yeah, we forget to. We, sometimes we'll be later like, oh, we can put in a swear, and we'll like be like, oh, okay. I use the word in my episode. It's okay. a good funny word that you can't say on network TV. That is good. Yeah, that is good. Because proper swearing feels like cheating a little bit. totally. Yeah. yeah. I think I think yeah, you guys are all disciplined enough not to do
0: that. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks
1: sweat, for live jokes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, yeah, we will link all that in the show notes. Um, Steve, especially your podcast, for sure, we'll link that up. So if you guys, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you enjoy podcasts somewhat. So go check that. I'm interested to check that out as well, especially the uh, Is Kim Kardashian Smart? I mean, that's a very pressing issue in today's world. <laughs>
1: Well, the, the number one issue of the day. <laughs> the main question on World Traveler's Mind. We're going to be hearing about this in the 2016 presidential election shortly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. so, Candidates will have to stake out some ground on
0: that. All right. Well, guys, if you love the story you heard from Steam Valley today, we've just kind of scratched the surface. They were nice enough to touch on some of the misadventures they had during their ridiculous race, but I urge you go grab a copy of the Ridiculous Race. It's a great read. Um you can get it on Amazon. I'll link it up in the show notes, of course, for this podcast. So you can get everything at extrapackofpeanutscom dot com slash ridiculous race. We'll also link up Steve's podcast there. And don't forget, we love your recommendations on show topics and guests. I was really lucky to get Stephen Valley Volley on simply by reaching out to them. So if you have a favorite author or traveler or anyone you think would be a good fit for the show or just a topic you want to hear discussed, let me know. Send me an email, Trav at Extra Pack of Peanuts, or you can tweet us at Pack of Peanuts. I'll do everything in my power to get those people on the show. Stephen Volley, thanks again so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. Thank it was you. so fun to talk was really This was really fascinating. Thanks so much for all the interesting stuff that you told us. Yeah, you do such a great show. Keep it up.
0: Awesome. Thank you, guys. And thanks, everyone, for joining us and for all the support that has made us the number one travel podcast on iTunes. And until tomorrow, happy free travels.